Welcome to a new episode of UCU Campus Chats. Uh, my name is Kim Zwitserloot. I'm one of the lecturers at UCU. Uh, I teach economics. I'm also one of the tutors. And today I'm here with my colleague Agnes Anderweg. Agnes, could you maybe introduce yourself? Hello, Kim. Good afternoon. Um, yes, I am Agnes Anderweg. I work at UCU since two, 2015 officially, but I did start teaching in 2014. I think that's the way many people start. Uh, and I'm a teacher in literature. I'm also a tutor. Um, I've been the fellow for the literature track for a while. And now I'm one of the cluster chairs, which is maybe not, well, most students will not notice, but uh, it's, it's part of my job right now. Okay. And uh, when you went to university, did you immediately study literature? Oh, no, not at all. No, actually, so... I am from the generation where in, in Dutch politics, there was a campaign to get more girls to study uh, technical studies. So uh, the, the, say the sciences. And I was quite good at sciences. I enjoyed it very much actually, I, especially chemistry, but I didn't feel that a technical or a science study was exactly what I wanted. So actually I chose the, program that I thought was the broadest program <laughs> on offer. And this was before liberal arts and sciences existed in the Netherlands. So what I started doing was uh, environmental sciences at the Agricultural University in Wageningen, because it offered chemistry and cell bio and also some statistics, which I never really enjoyed, but also some sociology, uh, communication, because of course uh, people need to be informed about environmental uh, challenges and threats so so that's what I started doing and I completed the first year and people had told me the first year would maybe not be so enjoyable because it, it's the introductory year but then I think in December of the second year I realized I don't I'm not sure I can do this any longer and I I'm not sure I'm really interested in this. And I, and I realized what I really miss is reading. Because <laughs> I had been a really, yeah, a great fan of reading fiction, but I hadn't read a single novel in my first year. I was just too busy with uh, enjoying student life. Uh, so... <laughs> As you should. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had a... So I had a great time in Wageningen, actually. I really, really enjoyed it. And... Uh, so I, yeah, I, so I really, well, maybe we get there, but I really feel for the, for the new students now who have to do this uh, in their rooms. But so I sort of delved into the introduction, from the introduction week onwards. So I think I did the full program from nine in the morning till five in the morning, <laughs> back at nine. And then, yeah, that was my first week. But well, so then I, I, in the second year, I realized that I don't want this. I want to do something with language and literature. And so I um, had to choose another uh, program. Uh, well, <laughs> this is also something I sometimes tell my, my students, my tutees, because of course you have to then take a very motivated decision about what you want to study, right? Uh, but so I, I had made that choice. I, okay, I want to do something with literature. I am in Wageningen. They don't have that here. So I have to go somewhere else. And then basically it was, uh, I, I had just been in a uh, 
disastrous well a, a relationship that didn't work out yeah. and so my ex was in Amsterdam and the new lover was in Nijmegen so and they were both <laughs> in the field of uh, say in languages and so basically Nijmegen and Amsterdam just were then impossible so I chose Utrecht <laughs> <laughs> yeah we we, so. we it's funny how when we're talking to our students, we also tell them, you know, think about it carefully. But ultimately, yeah. these kind of things can often determine exactly. where you are. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, also, actually, I chose Wageningen also partly because it would help. So it, it would mean I had to leave home because it was impossible to do it from my parents' home. Yeah. And I wanted to move out. I wanted to live on my own. So, yeah, I know these reasons... <laughs> <laughs> always play a part so then I started in uh, Utrecht uh, in so in what was my second year in February I, I remember it well because it was it had snowed so it was a uh, the first my first class was uh, behind the Dom Cathedral after the Dom so it was snowy morning in February in, in this fantastic medieval building and I thought, oh, wow, if this is studying in Utrecht, I think it was a class on Renaissance literature. I thought, OK, now I'm now I'm good. But and then even I, I almost had chosen linguistics because, because I so at the point where I had to choose a specialization and I liked linguistics, I liked uh, doing semantics and syntax. And uh, so there was a large chunk of that in the in the first year. And um, so then I had to choose a specialization and I had almost chosen linguistics because I thought, well, that's the most technical, <laughs> that's the yeah. hardest. Yeah. Uh, and then I thought, no, but I was here because I wanted to do literature. So let's do literature. So I did literature in the end and gender studies, which I also found very interesting. Yeah. And gender studies, gender studies, or gender studies, yeah, yeah. So, well, because one of the things with so when I had these classes, we had to read like forty authors, and with one woman, which I thought, okay, this is strange. And there was a course on um, uh, an introduction to gender studies, and uh, so I thought, oh, I'm interested in that, uh, and and ultimately it's led me to my thesis supervisor who would later then also become my yeah. PhD supervisor which I, of course I had no idea of at the time. And, and is there any particular book that you remember from the gender studies class that made an impact? Oh well yes one of the well it introduced me to uh, the work of A.S. Byatt mm -hmm. an English writer so I did a course on uh, the artist novel um, say books about artists yeah. and Ace by its possession had won the Booker Prize in 1990 mm -hmm. it's a I think it's 900 pages long <laughs> I think uh, so yeah. the teacher who uh, who prescribed that I wouldn't I, I I don't think I would dare to prescribe a novel of 900 pages <laughs> uh, yeah I think I must say so we probably had a couple of weeks to read it but uh it's typically the book that you can never fit into your course because it's just way too long. But I thought it was a fantastic book uh, because it's both, it's a crime, it's a suspense novel. It had, I first time I skipped all the poems because actually there are quite a lot of 19th century style poems that she wrote herself actually. 
Um, so there's a historical story in it, uh, and there is a sort of yeah a story about two scholars who are trying to retrieve a seek or yeah find out about it. it's it's Dan Brown, but then the the literary <laughs> person of Dan Brown. So I thought it was a fantastic book. Okay, so for people who are not re who are not necessarily literature readers but do enjoy Dan Brown, this may be a nice <laughs> way to step over. Or, um, well, why not? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, it's 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 full. Well, Byatt always writes books that are sort of brimming with. Uh, there's always too much. <laughs> so, so they're they're books of excess. So, but so there's fairy tales. There's biography. There is uh, love. There's suspense. There's uh, but and in a in a in a sophisticated sophisticated fashion. So uh, yeah. Good. And, and what was her, why was that book in the gender studies course? What about it made it relevant for the topic? Well, because this, the topic of the novel is, um, so it, yeah, it's also a parody on academic life. So where some people make career because they study the right people or they have the, the right friends or they um, and there's also and there's one character who has been a, a sort of elderly woman who has been sitting in her tiny office working on the biography of a an obscure female writer and uh, so by it makes a very sharp comment about okay so uh, yeah she's always sort of neglected because nobody takes her seriously uh, and then there's the other sort of so the historical story about uh, a famous poet, male poet, and uh, the woman he gets an affair with. Um, and then it turns out to be just different than you expected as a reader. So she, she, but she also she she takes a uh, she makes a parody of feminism. Uh, of, well, so she in a way she makes a parody of many many things. It's very playful. It's very. It's also quite meta in the yeah thinking about what is literature or what is taken seriously or what is academic life. So yeah, yeah. Um, okay, and because um, that led to you met your future supervisor there. Yeah, uh, your PhD. Because uh, yeah, I mean, ASBI wouldn't be gothic, I imagine. But uh, well, yeah. Okay. A bit. Yeah. Well, there is some grave digging in the so sort of um, at the there is a, a scene where they enter the cemetery to dig up the remains of the one of the writers to find out who he's buried with or, or so. Well, there is some gothic uh, quality there, yeah. Because <laughs> um, yeah, when you say gothic, my first thought is like Dracula, Wuthering Heights. Um, yeah. And in the Winsome Hall, Wilt I don't remember the name exactly. The Tender Whiteful Hall. Yes. Yeah. But what, when is something gothic? Mm. <laughs> Take the course. No, well, so... Well, <laughs> if so, I had more time in my day, I totally would. <laughs> oh, yeah, I would take the course and begin economics, actually. But uh, that's a different story. Well, so, yeah, what, so what we start with... Uh, so I teach a course on, course on gothic here at UCU. And... Uh, 
in a way you you don't get very far with just uh, say trying to identify the essential elements of a gothic story but so most people agree and it's a very sort of flexible mode it's not just you just don't you don't just find it in literature but also in photography or in film or in, in music uh, fashion um, yeah. yeah um but usually uh so yeah, something to do with uh, the supernatural or with the monstrous or with evil or, and then in the in the end, it is a kind of a, a perspective that you can apply, can take and see if it works. Or um, so there is now there is a sort of established canon, so to speak, of Gothic literature that everyone sort of agrees on. But for example, Frankenstein. Uh, which was published in 1816-1818 would at the time not be considered a gothic novel by contemporary readers because there was there had been a huge wave of gothic literature in, at the end of the 18th century and then it meant uh, predominantly stories that would be about the middle ages or oh, stories okay. that had to, so that but Frankenstein is in a sort of contemporary setting it's more a science fiction novel than a, a gothic novel. But now for us, so what gothic is also changes with the, uh, the readership, so to speak. So we now think of Frankenstein as one of the, well, like Dracula, it's yeah. one of the icons of gothic yeah. fiction because it deals with the say this transgression between the, the human and the monstrous or the, um, um, and that whole aspect of it having to be sort of harking back to an age of medium, the Middle Ages, or having to do something with a, uh, a, a, a an aristocratic uh, um, bad guy who uh, uh, has a damsel in distress. So, so that has sort of gone into the background. So yeah, yeah. Because your PhD was about Gothic representations in contemporary Dutch literature. Yeah, in most in nineteen in well nineteen eighty. So I don't don't think we call it contemporary anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, but so it's a, it's a while ago. No, so it was trying to. I tried what I tried to do is um, because Dutch literature was had never been regarded um, as gothic. It was seen as a t some or because somehow the nineteenth century. It never happened because we were only doing domestic realism or whatever. And then, uh, but in the 80s, Gothic studies came up as, or, or reading in a Gothic perspective was a way of, um, yeah, trying to get at, say, um, the stories behind dominant discourses. And I, so I had collected a couple of, uh, or people gave me advice on, uh, can we read some Dutch literature, maybe in a Gothic vein? Okay. Um, and so I read uh, Reve and Kellen Donkhoff for the Dutch students, who uh, and Renate Dorstein and Vonne uh, van der Meer. Most of these have been translated into English as well, if anyone is yeah. looking to yeah. read more. Yeah. yeah, not often, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And to see what, so how can we make sense of... Uh, 
these authors using the tropes of a, of a ghost or a monster or reference to Frankenstein? What is it they refer to when they do that or when they... Uh, and so, I, and I think, well, I tried to make an argument for the 80s as a, a period of, uh, say, yeah, the Netherlands with a self-image of, um, yeah, being sexually liberated and emancipated and, and then, so Gothic stories were a way to, to sort of, yeah, paint the, the say, the, 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 the shadow version of that, uh, yeah. Uh, story of emancipation. Yeah. Yeah. So sort of what's lurking beneath the surface. Yeah. 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 And so I was quite in a way it was surprising to find that uh, homosexual authors like Franz Kellendonk and Gerard Reve, I could yeah by reading them say in a with a gothic eye, uh, you could see how. So it, it's a way of 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 showing that there's so that even when say yeah national self-images become sort of dominant they're always sort of the counter stories to tell so cultures yeah. never just one uh, yeah because yeah. one of the other things you've been working a lot is the idea of the flying dutchman right and what that says about national yeah. identity and what yeah. is the flying dutchman for people who are not familiar with it yeah the flying dutchman yeah that's a it's a great story uh, <laughs> well the flying dutchman is a um, and I did, yeah. So the Flying Dutchman is a a, a captain of a ghost ship, and uh, who is doomed to sail forever. There, that's the short version. And uh, there are many, many different versions of the Flying Dutchman story. I didn't. It's not. A, it wasn't a topic in my PhD because I didn't consider it to be Dutch, and maybe also not literature, uh, because its uh, its roots are in English, in British, uh, yeah. in British um, culture, British literature. There are also many songs, and um, uh, but at some point, somebody asked me to give a paper on. Um, what was it? Um, uh, I think something about ghosts and globalization. And I thought, oh, I have no clue. What should I talk about? And then I thought, wow, the Flying Dutchman is this ghost figure. Mm -hmm. who, uh, and, and well, I also did some research in newspaper databases and especially in the 19th century and the early 20th century, there's a huge, the, there's so many references to Flying Dutchman, both in English and in Dutch. Uh, culture, just you can just tell by the number of uh, of hits um, that I got really interested in that story and um, and also in its colonial uh, story because so it's a ghost ship right so yeah. where's the ship going to what's its cargo yeah. how come we never hear uh, yeah. about it and I also got interested because in there's a Dutch city in uh, Terneuze who turned the Flying Dutchman into their local hero. They say, we are the city of the Flying Dutchman. And so I was able to do a project with the city of Ternose yeah. to write a little book on that, how, how that came about. And so there was one a very popular English writer, uh, Marriott, who had been a captain in the, in the British Marine, um, who wrote a fictional, he wrote many adventure stories. And in one of them, he uh, has the Flying Dutchman and he says, well, the Flying Dutchman was born in uh, 
Ternosen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so they took it. So it, it was a way of showing how stories uh, sort of land and are taken up by local yeah. communities to give them an identity. Um, and it also is a way to show how these stories uh, are a way of sort of managing self images or or, or yeah. other images because the British like to paint the Dutch as a either backward or uh, stupid or racist uh, enemy or former enemy because of, yeah. of course there's a long history of tension between the British and the Dutch and so I have a couple of 19th century examples where the Flying Dutchman becomes this sort of old fashions and also in relation to slave owning so the british abolished slavery and slave trade before the dutch did and so you find an english play where the uh, the flying dutchman becomes this sort of backwards slave yeah. owning uh, party yeah so, yeah, that, so it becomes this sort of you say that the symbol of sort of a Dutch culture that is inferior and backwards and yeah. all of that. And yeah. is there also stories about the Flying Dutchman from the Netherlands, I imagine? There are actually, that was why my first plan to write about those and I never got around to it yet. So I, I still have to do that, but in the, so it's interesting in the twenties and thirties, there are many authors, many Dutch authors who wrote a version of the Flying Dutchman. So. Mm -hmm. Famous poets like uh, Martinus Nijhoff, for example, or in Vestdijk and uh, Marsman, uh, they all wrote a version of the Flying Dutchman, and I think that has to that has to do with the way the Dutchman materializes in the 20, 1920s with um, the uh, arrival of airplanes. Yeah. So, and there are actually great posters, advertisements from uh, the Dutch uh, KLM, the air, air company, mm -hmm. Yeah, let's say the ghost materializes. Yeah. And for Nijhoff, uh, he was interested in modern literature and he saw it as a sort of a, a machine he could put together. And he uses that image of the Flying Dutchman to sort of describe the process of trying to grasp something ungraspable, so like, like yeah. the ideas floating around and turning them into a material yeah. text. Yeah. And so that's, I think, fascinating, yeah. And I think this was also at the time that uh, Fokker was starting to work yeah. on the planes for Kellen. Yeah. So for those yeah. of you listening, Fokker is a Dutch last name. I'm not swearing yeah. here. No. Uh, it's spelled differently. <laughs> and of course, that was also this image of the progressiveness again, um, the excitement about new possibilities, technology with speed of the future and all of that. Yeah, definitely. So, and the sort of Flying Dutchman became, it was written on all the airplanes of all Dutch airplanes and the magazine was called the Flying Dutchman. And, uh, uh, but there's always this sort of, uh, sort of nationalist uh, pride yeah. behind the national pride behind that. And, and it can never get rid completely of the, say the the old stories too yeah. so the, yeah yeah so again you sort of have like the story that's on the front and the story that's in the shadow on the back yeah 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 what else is attached to it yeah. um you're currently working a lot on uh the use and the function of art literature and culture in the dutch lgbt plus movement uh or lgbtqi <laughs> plus movement i think now um yeah. I think it's the most complete version, right? I'm not sure. Um, and particularly looking at the period of 1960 to 1995. Yeah. 
And how has that changed in that period? Yeah, um, what can I say about that? Yeah, so what I'm doing, so I, yeah. Uh, so I got interested in say, how culture or stories help to establish a self image, mm -hmm. right? So what the Flying Dutchman yeah. does. Um, and in a, say, in a similar vein, I saw that, um, uh, so in, reg in relation to say the Netherlands as a sexually liberated country, uh, I noticed that very often when that topic was discussed, writers are used as a point of reference. Yeah. So uh, for the Dutch, apparently the idea of what happened in the 60s, uh, or if that was the period of sexual liberation, we could say it was longer, but whatever. Um, writers, and so again, so for the Dutch uh, uh, listeners, like Jan Bolkers or Jan Kramer or Gerard Reve are always come up as say the first points of reference to, uh, so stories or culture are say pivotal sort of, mm -hmm. I would, and I even called them social media at some yeah. point because they organize, uh, they become sort of the, the, the magnets, but also the, the sort of organizing points uh, for self-reference, but also for self-articulation. And so I was interested in, because Jan Kremer and Jan Wolkers are both very heterosexual uh, and male, how and that worked. 60s, I think, right? We're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 60s and, and, and 70s. And, um, but uh, so I thought about, say, novels as social media. But so what I'm doing right now, and it's, I'm still sort of, well, I haven't much time at the moment, but I should be working on it because I'm, I'm going to give a paper on it in, in March, I think. Um, so I've looked at journals, uh, uh, the magazines from the, from the 60s till the 90s, uh, from the gay and lesbian ma uh, movement, uh, as it was called then, uh, uh, LGBT was still... Uh, and just looking at what, so what are the types of books they recommend to each other? Because it's also sort of always been a sort of secret or a signal, right? If I know that you know that I read this writer, then we yeah. know enough. So uh, in, also in that sense, it's a sort of social medium. So if we know that, okay, you read Anna Blaman, okay, so now I know enough. Yeah. Then, um, um, but so, and for what reasons do they, uh, so I'm looking at reviews, I'm looking at the, 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 the writers, uh, who are they, are they Dutch, are they international, uh, French, German, English, American, what, so what are the cultural references and what can I say about their uh, and, and, well, I, I don't think I have any real conclusions yet. One thing is that what I do see, there's a, a huge sense of, say, historical importance or historical, uh, so, or the need to record. Uh, so in 1985, there are four lesbian archives in the Netherlands, in Leeuwarden, Nijmegen, Amsterdam, Utrecht. Uh, why you think right yeah. so there's a, a, an enormous urge to record uh, uh, lesbian life to record uh, or to but also to dig up uh, uh, 
lesbian writers, uh, yeah. artists, uh, um, and do that, and and also, yeah. So that and so that's I'm that's something I'm interested in. There's now only one left in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a lesbian archive anymore. It's the Ilia. It's the international. Um, but that it's so it says something about the uh, yeah the urge to conserve what's going on at that time, but also yeah. the the past and to sort of reconstruct that. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I have much <laughs> at this point yet. Maybe if you ask me in, a, in two months, I uh... <laughs> after. But that. I have worked well. What what was great was that I could do uh, some work with uh, UCU students. So I took them uh, to the archive in Amsterdam. And basically uh, we have been just making an inventory of the, the type of references, but also for what reasons are they praised? Uh, so if there's like a happy happy plot, is that a positive thing or is it, or do they appreciate art for their artistic value or does it have to have a sort of, yeah, uh, an identification function? So yeah. um, you students have helped me uh, a lot with that. That's great to hear. And I, they, they use that then for a thesis or for uh, a course or? Yeah, no, they could do like, uh, so I, I think for two winters or a winter and a summer, I took, and they had a, like a mini research internship for two and a half years. Yes. Yeah. And it would give them a taste of working in an archive and uh, sitting behind your desk, uh, scrolling through old magazines. Uh, <laughs> because the thing was, we couldn't end, do it from home because uh, the content, it wasn't allowed to be published yeah. on the internet. So because of copyrights uh, and maybe also because of content uh, issues, because the 70s had, uh, had some very different ideas about uh, uh, sexuality than we would have now. So uh, mm. I in I what way? If I may ask. Well, there are whole, so in these magazines, there, for example, there are whole discussions about pedophilia. Ah, okay. Yeah. I, think, I don't think we could, you, they are yeah. not on the internet. Yeah. So we can no, that's indeed, yeah, a lot of stuff that would have been considered okay. Yeah, or with nudity or, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And because, um, of course, one of the big projects you do at UCU is a one book, one campus events. Yeah, three so far. Yeah, and what was the uh, what was the starting point for that? Where did the idea come from? Ah, well, so I think it was just because we had um, there were little grants that you could apply for, mm -hmm. um, say thousand or fifteen hundred euros, not that much money, but so with the idea, so please organize something. And I thought, okay, wouldn't it be great to have a write a writer, a real writer on campus? So I think the first one was with Caroline Duffy. Mm -hmm. And then I had, um, so I then, no, that was the year after. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And so Caroline Duffy, I uh, invited her uh, because I had written a review, uh, like yeah. she was the poet laureate at the time. But uh, so before I did my PhD, I, I was a reviewer for a Dutch weekly for a while. And one of the reviews I wrote was about a, a volume by Carolyn Duffy in the 1990s or something. So I felt I could just invite her and say, hey, I, uh, I've been following you yeah. forever. And she, she said, yes, so that was great. And then I thought, okay, let's not just have a 
one event, but try to organize something around it. And she was, and her work was perfect for it because she has written such fantastic poems, but also many that could be linked to an occasion. So with some students, we recorded teachers reading a poem. I remember you reading a poem about cucumbers, right? Cucumbers Cucumbers and economics, yes. (laughs) Yeah, so we selected poems that fit the disciplines. Oh, I could have done like every discipline, I think. Yeah, so we had linguists, yeah. That was great. So we had little video clips and and we had a Valentine poem, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because she has a fantastic Valentine poem. Uh, yeah, that generally very does. funny, like very entertaining, extremely accessible. Yeah, yeah, and very, but also very clever and very, yeah, is very, it's just very good. Yeah. So, and we had this event, which I think was great because she brought her own musician yeah. who happened to play the recorder, which I liked because I also played the recorder. Uh, I didn't know that, but uh, it was just fun. And um, yeah, so then uh, that that I thought, oh, yeah, we should do that every year. Yeah. And then I heard about this concept. I think I, I actually, Crystal Lutz told me about the concept of One Book, One Campus. She had seen it in, uh, in the US. Um, and I thought, oh, that would just be perfect for UCU. Yeah. The idea of having one book that we would read together. And um, so then the year after I could get the grant again. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and once more in 2019 and then 2020 was Corona. So yeah. Anyway, but so we had Maxime Februari, the Dutch writer with uh, the book club and we had Ellie Smith yeah. um, in 2019. We were both amazing as well. Yeah, yeah. And so with Ellie Smith, we also had a, uh, a contest for uh, short stories a student could uh, send in a short story yeah that, uh, and who would be on your wish list if in 2022 we could get anyone we wanted who would you want oh and what would we read what would be the book that we would be reading what would we read oh wow well well now that you say anyone we want <laughs> so maybe like an aspiring you know, one wish that's aspirational and one that that's realistic. Hmm. Oh, it's hard because I well because I had been so I had been looking for writers who would not be too expensive in terms of travel costs. <laughs> yeah. So I had ruled out the completely your U.S., Australia, yeah. Asia, yeah. South America. So I, I've just looked at Europe. So I well I I would be very interested so to have Yuli Zay a German oh yes writer. yes and I loved her so she wrote also maybe 900 pages is too long but she wrote a fantastic book uh, on um, it's called Un- Unterleute mm-hmm. uh, in Dutch Onsort Mensa how is it in English our kind of people I don't know our kind the of English people? titles are usually a bit different I think yeah uh, which I thought was the perfect book for discussing uh, climate change and the effects on local communities and the conflicts of interest. And, uh, but she, and she also has another uh, great book, which is called The Method in, uh, in English, which is a sort of experiment because it's, it's a sort of 
sci-fi novel uh, where in a society actually now it's pretty close where people are monitored in uh, terms of health yeah um and uh and so you're actually you cannot just even sit down on in the at the 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 um at a river because you would soil your fingers and it would there would be too too many bacteria Uh, so it's a great and there's a court case involved so it actually also so because I've it's actually not that easy to think of a book that suits many different disciplines and because I I wanted to have a book that uh, could speak to um, yeah to to students who move with many different interests but uh, I think Ulysses would be a great uh, example or example would be a great author to uh, to invite Uh, realistic as well she's from germany i think yes exactly yes it is she would be pretty realistic uh i i did try to invite her at some point and then uh, she was booked for like the next two years but maybe that's different now (laughs) so we could try (laughs) and i well i i actually i would also love to have a a uh, not just one book on campus but uh uh, one university one book say uh with the whole of the uu um but that, and of course, the, I think officially this is a lustrum year for the UU. We don't hear yeah, anything sure. about yeah. it because, because of Corona. Corona. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's everything. not mention it. <laughs> uh, but so any plans in that direction didn't not materialize. Yeah. But maybe, uh, who knows, in a couple of years. Uh, and if you didn't have the travel cost restrictions? Yeah. Um, Oh, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, well, I would have to think about it because I've sort of parked it. I've just read Bernadine Evaristo. That's the mm-hmm. book yeah. of art winner. Girl, Woman, Otter. Yeah. Yeah. Which was really good too. Um, but hey, uh, yeah. So um, if you now just ask me for, because, well, I would love to have Michael Cunningham. Oh yes! Oh God, I'm totally. You need to invite Michael Cunningham. Yeah, or well, or we just read the most. I'm just looking at my shelf now, and uh, we just talked about Mosin Hamid last week in Mm -hmm. the literature course on so the reluctant fundamentalist, and also his second book is quite interesting on uh, with a refugee story. So yeah, he would be one too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, enough events to organize still for sure. Yeah. Now, of course, we, we mentioned a couple of times already, we're in the middle of Corona, so everything's a little bit uh, different this time around. And I think the one thing that we're all feeling is that the campus community is, of course, very different now. Um, so over the Christmas break, you had a couple of students over for dinner, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it actually, so because I realized at some point talking to one of my duties, who is from uh, Japan um, uh, and or South Korea, but anyway, anyway so she, she's now in her second year. And so we had been in touch and, and she said, well, so I won't be able to go home yeah. for Christmas. And I knew she had not been able to go home for summer. Yeah. She had decided to not go home for the first Christmas just because she thought I'll I'll go next summer. And then that never happened. So I realized she just has never seen her family ever since she came yeah. to UCU. 
what a that's such a hard situation so can't we organize something for students like her and uh, and I know that other students also find the January sometimes a long yeah. month because there's not so much to do it's dark it's dark um, so I said can't, can't we just set up a little uh, <laughs> sign up lists with uh, tutors offering activities and, yeah. and uh, students uh, being able to sign up. I don't actually know how much of that happened, but I got three <laughs> dinners. <laughs> yeah. so that was really good. Uh, so I had three pairs of students because at the time we were still allowed to have two students. Can you imagine? Two, two guests. <laughs> that time will come again that we can invite. Well, actually, so many I, want. <laughs> we just cancelled. So I, the last one was supposed to happen and then they announced, well, we can only have one guest. So actually, so we cancelled that one. But the, um, the, the, the other three, and it was interesting because so two of them were with uh, two teas of mine, but also the one one couple of students uh, signed up who I didn't know, so we That's met. Really cool. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think uh, we all enjoyed ourselves. I hope. Was <laughs> <laughs> so, different, of course. It's a and I've yeah. I always or always it, working at UCU does have a it's it, well I think one of the first things I thought about what so what's different working at UCU or at other institutions was that I felt this is a much more social job I have much yeah. more interaction with yeah. students than I had as a teacher before yeah. uh, not being a tutor and yeah. uh, so that does have an effect already but so then inviting students to your home is is another step that I so I I've I've always sort of kept uh, work and private life. Uh, yeah, mm. you need to keep some separation. But I felt this was a special situation, and and it was actually really nice mm -hmm. to have yeah. students around. And also, well, I also thought I have two kids, so I thought, oh, it's nice when they meet somebody yeah. new, and also from other countries. And uh, yeah, so it was very uh, I I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, but they're great students. And it's um, usually in normal times, I always invite my students for a drink once a semester. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's just really nice because they're all really cool, interesting people with yeah. great experiences to share, interests to share. So it's, yeah. it's a good yeah. experience. Have your students introduced you to any new authors or any new types of literature or oh yeah I always ask them in the first session so in the intro to literature I always ask them to uh, uh, to 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 tell us one of their great books and that always brings new authors um, oh but I have a bad memory so I know uh, I have notes somewhere <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah so uh, um yeah always i'm always surprised because it's always such a variety of uh uh so some apparently have read some like real classics 19th century mm -hmm. classics others read young adults so yeah. well oh well definitely i'm uh, uh, so one of my thesis students wrote a uh, uh, a thesis on uh, young adult books and uh, so some of these i 
I, yeah, yeah. That, what, those were new to me. Yeah. yeah, and that has exploded, of course, in the last couple of years. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. so much bigger. Yeah, yeah. No, so it's almost time for like, uh, well, there's a lot of research, and of course, we cannot do. It, it, we just have a small track, so we. Yeah. But that would be a theme, maybe, to uh, to to delve into, or yeah. That might be something for an interdisciplinary course, even. Yeah. There's so yeah. many elements that come back there. Okay, are there any final things you would like to share? Oh, help. Uh, <laughs> if not, that is fine too. <laughs> well, isn't it great that we have such a radio program? That, so, yes, I do feel, so even if it's been hard, and I have been on campus, I uh, must admit, but well, also because my neighbors uh, started a renovation. Oh, God, yes. Last right semester, time for it. The last year, I, we, I did a small renovation. I tried to <laughs> flee whenever possible, but now the neighbors have uh, decided yeah. to, all neighbors, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so I am on campus every now and then, and it's just every time I'm there, I and I meet someone, and we're we're both happy to be able to yeah. wave at a real person. So yeah, we I know that we miss this, uh, and I know students miss it, and I know teachers miss it, and um, so yeah, I very very much hope that we'll be able to uh, to meet soon in in small groups or in uh, yeah yeah that makes two of us yeah okay thank you so much for your time okay well it was a pleasure thank you <laughs>